All right, well, it's good to see you this, this weekend. Uh, this, uh, uh, as, as it's already been announced, uh, I'm starting a brand new series in a, in a couple of weeks, two weeks, and I am so excited about this series. And, and I understand we kick it off on Labor Day, and Labor Day is kind of a day that, that we travel, but I, I am going to tell you, just would you make it a priority? Uh, let's, let's walk through this series together. I know in some ways uh, we're going backwards because this, this, this verse comes out of Ephesians chapter 3, but when I was studying for this series and I got to Ephesians chapter 3, and he says, you're deeply and rooted and grounded in God's word. We need to understand what that means. We need to understand that where we're planted, the things that our life is planted in, has significant impact into our lives. So Deeply Rooted starts in a couple of weeks. Join me as, as, as we launch this series. It's gonna, it, it's, anyway, I can't wait. Uh, if I'm not careful, I'll start preaching it now. But today, we're in this series, Relationships, What's Your Status? And this is the last message in this series, and today's, the title of today's message is this, is, is, is what's your timeline, or your timeline, because your timeline and my timeline reveals a lot to us. It reveals a lot to us about our priorities, uh, our focus in life. And so if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I, I'd invite you to either, either click to or turn to with me uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, and we're going to look at this subject, we're going to look at this issue of, of our timeline. And so while you're finding your place in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, uh, let, me, let me tell you about growing up. It was just a, a favorite game of my cousins. It wasn't always a favorite game of mine, but it was a favorite, game, favorite board game. And to, to all you students, uh, not all the games have to be on a computer. I mean, I'm still old school. I still like board games. And so, uh, so anyway, so it's, it's the game of life. And my cousins loved the game of life, and it wasn't one of my favorite games. But whenever we went to their house, we always played the game of life. The game of life has gone through a lot of revisions through the years. And so in the, in the game of life, um, you, can, you can go to college in the game of life. You can get a student loan in the game of life. You can, you can go on a job search in the game of life. You can get a job on this game of, in the game of life. You can get fired in the game of life. Uh, you can go through a crisis in the game of life. You can even go through a midlife crisis in the game of life. You can get a speeding ticket in the, in the game of life. You can get married in the game of life. Uh, you can have a baby in the game of life if you, if you land on the, the special scare, uh, square. So be careful on the squares that you land on. So in the game of in the game of life, you can get a you can get a student loan. You can pay taxes in the game of life. I mean, when you look at the game of life, it's some of the same stuff we go through. And so I was I was reading the box top because that's old school right there. That's the game we played with uh, when we were kids. And so I was reading the instructions. Here, here here's the instructions of the game of life. Watch this. Just a paragraph, and I quote. When you reach the, the end of the game, you must choose whether to retire at Millionaire's Estates or Countryside Acres. If you retire at Millionaire's Estate, you have the chance to receive four additional life tiles if you're the richest person to retire there. At the end of the game, all players repay their loans, add up their, their life tiles, and money. The player with the most money wins. Sounds a lot like the American dream, right? Sounds a lot like life. And you know, when I read that, I thought, you know what, there has to be way more to life than that. I mean, to me, that kind of, kind of sounds empty. That kind of sounds hollow. I mean, I, I read those words and think, man, what an empty life that is to think. The man with the most toys, the person with the most toys, when they uh, wins. And Apostle Paul is coming in this series on 
in the book of Ephesians about what is your timeline. And he says there's way more to life than that. That that's an empty life and that's a hollow life. Especially in the life of a, of a believer. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Here's, here's the writings of Paul. And we're just going to pull some characteristics. We're going to pull some qualities out of that. And here's what the word says. He says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have, you've been called. Every one of us has a, when you're in Christ, every one of us has a calling. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What Paul is saying, what scripture says, what, what your timeline will say about you is this. Your timeline will say what you're known for. By your priorities by your life. And so let me ask you this question. What are you known for? Every one of us is known for something. What are you known for? I mean, you hear a lot of times people will say, well, that guy can really smash a softball. That guy can really smash a, a golf ball. She can, really, she can make really, really, really good green chili. She can run a fast marathon. That guy can, like, fix anything. That guy can break anything. And so every one of us are known for something. And my question this morning is, what are you known for? Because your timeline, my timeline, reveal to you what your priorities are. It will reveal to you where your foundation are, where your roots are. It will re reveal some things critical about your life because here's the deal. We're all known for something. And what Paul is saying, he's speaking to a group of Christians there in Ephesus, and he's saying, he says, this is what you should be known for. You should be known for a man or a woman or a boy or a girl that has received a calling, that is, that is a Christian, that is a believer to where you walk in this life in a, in worthy of the calling that you received with, with patience and with gentleness and, and humility and, and endurance. And listen, I'm telling you, all through the Bible, we, we have this, this picture of, of walk, and Paul used it. He says, I urge you to walk. In other words, I beg you. In other words, I come alongside of you. I want to come alongside of you, and I beg you and I encourage you, just walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. All the way through the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, the Christian life is described as a walk. I mean, when you look at Genesis and you look at the, the creation account, you find, you find God that, that is walking in the garden to what? He's walking in the garden to have fellowship, to have fellowship or relationship with Adam and, and Eve. And, and John writes in 1 John 1, 7 about this issue, this Christian life, and here's what he says. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So let me tell you something. If you're not walking in the light, you better check your salvation. And he says, Christian life is a, it's a walk. And we're to walk in the light. In the Old Testament, it says Enoch walked with God. To walk with someone, to journey with someone implies agreement. It implies this consistency of interest, this consistency of goals, this consistency of, of purpose in life. fact is, Amos, uh, in, in the Old Testament, in Amos 3.3, 3, he, he asks this question. He says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can I tell you, that's why marriages don't last. That's why relationships don't last. That's why people have trouble in business. It's because they've never agreed on the same purpose. They've never agreed on the same message. They never agreed where they're headed together. And as a result of that, there's some conflict. And can I tell you about this as well? This is a reason some churches don't grow. Because they've never agreed on their mission. They've never agreed on their vision. 
They never agreed where they're headed together. And God is saying this through the Apostle Paul, is I want everything you have. And I want you to bring it to me. In verse 1, again, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now listen, that word worthy in the Greek is where we'd get our word axis. It's like, it's like, it's like on a scale, and there's this axis, and there's a beam, and it's like bringing, bringing the scale what's is equivalent. And what's it equivalent to? What Paul is saying this, uh, the calling that you received should be balanced, in balance, or equivalent to your walk. In other words, where your walk matches your talk. See, this, this word worthy in the Greek, it, it carries, it, it's a word and a definition of, of, of weight. In other words, what Paul is saying, I want you to feel the weight. I, I, want, you, I want your Christian life to, to weigh up in measure in the Christian experience. See, Christianity, Christ follower, should affect way more than your destination in life and heaven. Paul is saying it should affect your daily life. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to have, a, I want you to have an inter, integrated life. I want you to live a life of integrity. To where your life is integrated together, whether it's your dating life, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your relationships. Paul is saying, I want you to understand this, that you have a, a weighty calling and it should have priority in your life. And, and just remember this, our, our, our calling is from God, but it's for people. You, you see that in Paul's life. Our calling is from God. But the beneficiary of that should be people. And our calling is from God, but it's for people. And you see this in Paul's life, the focus of unity, not unity at all cost, not unity in ignoring truth. But you see this in Paul's life. And, and when you look at this, you realize that this isn't in relation to circumstances so much that Paul's talking about. It's in relationship to people. And have you ever noticed in your life, I've noticed in my life, God has used some difficult people to grow me. Learning how to forgive and learning how to overlook an offense. And, and let, let, me just, let me just tell you, if you're one of those people that says, well, to where you travel in and out of every circle or social group and you're traveling, and every group you go into, every, every group you go into, every situation you go into, everybody else is, everybody's wrong. And everybody else is mean, and everybody else is talking about you, and, and it doesn't matter what group you go into, it's just, it's just they're difficult. Then you may be the common denominator. It may be you. I mean, I, I've told you this often about families, that every family has like a crazy aunt, crazy uncle, right? I mean, we all have them. Ours was Aunt Betty, and so we all have that crazy aunt, that crazy uncle, that when they're not around, we're kind of like talking about them because they're just kind of different, and they, they cause a lot of problems in family. And if you're sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, our... Our family must be perfect. We don't have that person. Well, that person may be you. <laughs> and so I want to talk to you this morning about relationships. I want to talk to you about this weighty calling. And, I, and I'm telling you, I, I just got to tell you, it's just full disclosure. Uh, this was a hard message for me to preach to myself this last week. I have to preach this message to myself before I can preach it to you. Or it's not authentic. Or it's not real. And we don't, want to have an, we don't want to have an inauthentic church. And we want to be real. And so I just need to tell you, this was a difficult message for me to preach to myself over and over and over before I preach it to you. These qualities that we're going to look at 
are not character qualities to be achieved. Uh, we, cannot, we cannot achieve these qualities without Christ. So it's not something that we do out of self-will. It's not something we do out of greater discipline. These qualities that we're going to look at come out of a byproduct with an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. We just got to get that. Just got to understand that. This isn't self-help. This is understanding what it means for your life to be planted and rooted in him. Where some things just grow out of your life. And you live a life that is worthy of the calling that you've received. So four things. Four things that should come out of our life because of an authentic relationship with Christ. The first one is this. I will walk in humility. I mean, that's what Paul says. I mean, uh, verse 2, he says this, with, with all humility, not some humility, but with all humility and with all gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. And so here's the truth. Life will humble, humble you. Uh, God will, will humble you. Circumstances will humble you. Or you can learn to how to humble yourself. And the fact is, when you look at this word humility, the opposite of humility is pride. Pride is this, me first. Pride is this, it's all about me, it's about my way, it's my way or the highway, I'm always right, nobody can speak into my life, nobody can tell me what to do, and pride is this, pride comes to this me first issue to where it's hard for you to see anybody else's desires, anybody else's needs. In fact, as the writer of Proverbs would say this about pride, how it relates to relationships is this, Proverbs 13.10, he says, pride leads to conflict, and it's so simple, pride leads to conflict, those who take advice are wise. In other words, those who are humble to where speak, people can speak into their life can understand that they need help. They're wise. I mean, this is just so, it's so basic. And so, so what he's saying, the root cause of all conflicts, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in, in family or what he said, the root cause is this. The root cause is, is, is pride because someone's too proud to compromise. Someone's too proud to hear another person's side or another person's situation. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been in one of those arguments? And, 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 uh, and I mean, it's going on for a, for a little while. And halfway in the argument, you realize, oh, no, I'm wrong. Yeah, there's like that nervous laughter, right? And you realize, I didn't know about that. I wasn't aware about that. What do you do? Pride won't allow you to say I'm wrong. Pride won't allow you to say my bad. I didn't know you felt that way. I didn't know that was going on. See, pride, pride causes arguments. I mean, the bottom line is the next time you're in that discussion, the next time you're in that argument, man, stop and ask, is it worth it? Is it a minor issue, a major issue? See, here's, here's what the scripture says. Pride not only causes conflict with people, Pride con causes conflict between you and God. James writes this in James chapter 4, verse 6. We'll just journey through some of those verses. Here's what he says, but he, God, but he gives, he gives more grace. We're going to find out who. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. In other words, God declares war on selfishness. Have you ever noticed God has a unique way when you think you got life figured out? When you think you got 
Christianity figured out, you got life figured out, and you say, it's going to be a breeze because I got it going on. And then God places you in a situation of circumstances that kind of pops your pride, and you realize, I, I really do need him. I really do need others. It's interesting to me, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, and, and uh, you, you, can, you can go home and, and check your Bibles, and you can check to make sure I'm right, but I'm right. That sounded kind of prideful, didn't it? Just check it for yourself. I could be wrong. <laughs> the only people group that the Bible says God opposes is the proud. And you think of all the people far away from God in Scripture, done all kinds of horrible things. And the Bible says there's only, there's only one people group. There's, there's only one person that, that God opposes, and that's the proud. In other words, if you're, living, if you're living a prideful life, you're on a collision course with God, and that's a course I don't want to be on. And there's no way you're going to there's no way you're going to win. And the scripture says that pride is the cause of the arguments and pride is the cause of conflict in every area of life. So what's the cure? What James would say, verse 10, James says, well, here's the cure. Humble yourselves. Humble is just a word that means to, to bow down. It, it, it means to worship. It, it, means just to, it just means to surrender. And so humble yourselves before the Lord, and guess what? He will exalt you. See, pride is this, I'll exalt myself. Humility is the opposite. I'll submit to God. I will humble myself before the Lord, and I will allow him to exalt me. And I'm telling you, when he exalts you, instead of you trying to exalt yourself, it works out much better. Grace that James is talking about, grace is his power to, to, to change. I mean, let me ask you what, would, what would you like to change about yourself whatever it is you need grace to do it what would you like to change about your relationship what would you like to change about your marriage what would you like to change about your dating relationship what would you, what'd you like to change about in, in, your, in your family whatever you'd like to change you need grace in other words you can't change it on your own you, you need God's power in your life and that's called grace and the Bible says the way you get God's power in your life the way I get God's power in my life is is out of a life of, of humility to where you you humble yourself God doesn't give grace to the person that's full of pride and says I can do it on my own I don't need anybody speaking into my life I don't need God I don't need in fact is I'll make my own rules I'll decide what is, what is purity. I'll decide what is morality. I'll decide what is right and what is wrong in the Christian life. And at the same time, I expect God to bless it. And so he's not in authority of me. I'm in authority over him. Paul says, a prisoner of the Lord. In other words, that's who I bow down to is what he's saying. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And living in a manner worthy of your calling grows out of a soil that is cultivated with, with, with humility. And there's some things that happen in your life and my life in, in humility. See, humility really is this. Humility is, is humbling yourself. Humility is bowing down. It's dying to those selfish ambitions that are just destroying and hurting the people around you. It's dying to the me first generation or the me first experience. It's, it's dying to pride and it's dying to ego and, and it's allowing God to, to lead. It's, 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 
telling you, when our old life, when the old life begins to die and it, and it gets mixed with, with the fertilizer of humility, God's grace grows in your life and grows in my life. And so Paul says, out of a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the byproducts of that is just living a life in humility. The second thing is this, is, is I will walk in gentleness. Now, now, we may look at that word gentleness, and that may be, a, a, you know, like, what does that mean? And another word, maybe an easier word for our, us to know or understand is reasonableness. In other words, people can actually reason with us. And so he goes on, verse 2, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. In other words, where humility may be an outward focus of God's grace, it may be an outward focus, gentleness is more of an inward focus of the soul that brings calmness. It brings calmness towards God in a particular situation. It's the acceptance of God dealing with us. Paul says, prisoner of the Lord, and he was in difficult situations and difficult circumstances. Uh, gentleness is, is the power to be, to be gentle and man, it's a strength to, to bow. Gentleness is this it's this ability for people to reason with you. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever been in a doctor's office? You're, you're in the waiting room. There are a bunch of screaming kids in there. And they're loud and they're sick and they don't feel well and they're coughing and sneezing and all that other stuff. And what does that do to you? I mean, I know what it does to me. It makes me just want to, it makes me want to get out of there. And then, then the nurse walks in and the nurse is able to bring calm to the waiting room. She's able to speak something. She's able to say something. And all of a sudden, it just brings calm. That's a person. That's a picture of a person with reasonableness. That's a person that's gentle. In other words, that person has the ability. There's some people that can walk into a family. They can walk into a house. They can walk into an office. They can walk into a room, and they give everybody stress, and they give everybody fear, and they're, they're walking on eggshells because they're wondering, how's this person showing up? Are they angry? Are they mad? Are they having a good day? Are they having a bad day? Will we pay a consequence? What is going on? A person that is gentle, a person that is reasonable can walk into a room, and instead of giving fear, instead of giving stress, instead of giving all those issues, they can relieve some fear. They can bring some calm to the situation. It's that person that just has this, this relationship with Christ. It's like this, it's, this, it's like this strength under control. Is your gentleness or your reasonableness so interesting to me? Evident to all because we're, we're all known for something. And so I started looking, well, where else is this word used in the Scripture? So maybe we can understand it a little bit deeper. Paul uses this word again in Philippians chapter 4, verse, verse 4. But this time it's translated out into the English word uh, reasonableness. Watch this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So what Paul is talking about there, just so we're, we're, we're clear, Paul is in prison. Circumstances around him are bad. And Paul is saying, worship Worship in the Lord always. Again, I say. I mean, he just says, worship him. And he says, and then watch this. And let your, there's that word, and let your reasonableness, let it be known to everyone. We're all known for something. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, okay? So now he's talking about prayer. He's talking about worship. Now he's talking about prayer. Oh, by the way, the two most intimate languages that we will speak as a people group together, worship and prayer. Because we're talking to God. We're having a conversation with God. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests, so he's still talking about prayer, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, be known for a person that is reasonable. Be known for a person that is humble and reasonable. And you can have a discussion. And it's not my way or the highway. Where you can, you, you can actually reason with them in conflict. And he's talking about this issue of worship. And for the believer, listen, let me tell you something. Worship is a natural response to a supernatural God. Worship for us is believers. It is a natural response to a supernatural God. And so if you're someone that says, well, wait a minute. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to engage in worship. I'm going to kind of stand there with my arms crossed, and I'm not going to sing, and I'm going to kind of endure it because I came for the sermon. I came for the Word. Let me tell you this. Worship is the Word. And if you're that person, this is, I didn't really come to sing. I'm going to endure it. And I'm only here for the sermon. Then you don't understand worship. Can I just press in a little bit deeper? It's a form of pride. Worship for the believer? Super is a response. It is a natural response to a supernatural God. Paul's writing when his circumstances are horrible. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Worship is not contingent upon God giving me what I want. Worship is a gratitude of heart that says, I can't believe you're my God. I can't believe you've forgiven me. I cannot believe I'm totally and completely forgiven. That in Christ I'm perfect. That I'm deeply loved. Man, it is, it is sometimes hitting your knees and raising your hands and saying, I don't get it and I don't go, I don't know, I don't understand what's going on around me and my circumstances. I don't understand why, why all this is happening like this. But I thank God that I don't have to because He is God. See, out of all the, all the major religions, let me just tell you. Twelve major religions. Only three of those major religions sing. Two of those religions sing to get something from God. Whether it's a rain dance, whether it's a festival, whether it's a celebration, whether it's something like this. They sing to get something from God. Christianity, the only religion that sings not to get something from God, we sing because what he's already given us. Now I'm telling you, Ephesians 1 through 3. You have every blessing in the heavenly realms. You're totally and completely loved by Him. You're predestined. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. you got the promise of heaven. You have the promise of Him. Christians, we don't sing to get something from God. We sing because of what we already have in Him. And because of that, this is a celebration. Listen, the measure of, of your Christian maturity, the measure of my Christian maturity, is can you rejoice? Can you praise Him? When things are going bad. Can you praise him even if you lose your job? Can you praise him even if you're going through hurt or pain? Can you praise him even if you, love that, you lose that loved one? Can you praise him if the prodigal hasn't returned? 
Can you praise him when you're going through health problems and when you're going through financial problems? Can you praise him when you don't have all the answers? And I'm telling you, when you take humility and you take reasonableness or you take uh, gentleness and you mix them together, something happens in your life and something happens in my life. Listen, nothing takes more strength than to bow when you're hurting, to bow when you're in pain, to bow when you don't have all the answers. telling you this issue of gentleness gentleness is this gentleness is not weakness gentleness is power under control the gentle individual is is slow to insist on his or her own rights it understands that guess what our rights have been secured Ephesians 1 through 3 we've journeyed through that together people who aren't gentle are those who want to show their power by how loud they can yell and how angry they can get and how they can force their will or their way on everybody else around them. But a byproduct of a relationship with Christ, a deep relationship with Christ, is this issue of humility and gentleness. And the, the third one is this, and I walk in patience. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Have you ever started off the morning, one morning, and it's like, this is going to be a great day morning? I mean, you ever started off a day and you just woke up and you're, you're like in a fantastic mood. You got a good night's sleep and you kind of look out on the mountains and, and there's a beautiful sunrise and you're taking pictures and you're posting it on this. What a great day and all that other stuff. And you're like, this is going to be a great day. And then you realize it's like National Sausage Day and you thought, I just didn't think the day could get any better. Fact is, October the 11th is National Sausage Day and I can't wait. And so, yeah, that white stuff in sausage, that's vitamins. And so, uh, so... And so you're like, you're like, man, this is going to be a great day. It's an awesome, great day. And then you end up the day and you say, you know what? It was a great day until. It was a great day until she said something. It was a great day until he said something. Or, is there, or, or someone comes up to me and says, hey, I just got to tell you what someone said about you. And you're like, oh, it's on now. I mean, we're about ready to get twisted up together now. I am making a phone call. It is on. This issue of patience, this issue of, of patience is, is like this forbearance or it's like long-suffering. It's this, it's this self-restraint that processes things. I mean, I had a friend, it was, like, it was like he didn't have a fuse. It was just like, bang. That's the opposite of patience. Has it ever happened to any of you guys who are you're in your car, and you're streaming on Pandora or iTunes, iTunes Radio, whatever, and you got your favorite worship CD going, and you're like praising him, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, and you maybe all of a sudden get one hand up, and I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, and all of a sudden someone cuts in on your lane, you're like, I love you, Lord, hey, 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 that is my lane. I am king of the road. That is my lane. And then you kind of run up on them so that they know that you're king of the road. And you know that that lane is my, they know that that lane is your lane. And then we come around them. And, and you know what do we do? That's not enough. We come around and we look over at them and we get on the stink eye, right? I mean, because we want them to know that, listen, I am king of the road. You are in my way. I make the rules. I make the regulations. And why is that? Why is that one minute we're worshiping and the next minute? It's like, they're like James says, can salt water and fresh water flow out of the same stream? But the quality of, of, of this issue of patience is this. 
Man, it's the power not to avenge yourself. Or you could avenge yourself. And you refrain from doing so. It says patience. See, there's two Greek words for patience. There's patience as, as far as circumstances, and there's patience as far as people. He's writing as far as people. I think it would help my sanctification if I just traveled I-25 for days and just said, you go. No, you go. No, you cut in. <laughs> Sometimes patience with people is difficult if we're honest. A while back, I was journaling this verse in Life Journal, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Someone had seriously wounded me and hurt me. And I was mad. And then what made it worse, God appeared to have blessed them. Did it hurt me? Did it wounded me? And I'm like, seriously, God? After what they've done to me? After how they've wounded me? After the, how they've, guess what, God? They didn't just, you know, how when we tell God? Or I'm just speaking for myself. And God, you, you know, they didn't only wound me, but they, they wounded you because they're, they're sinful. And, and I was having that whole conversation about, seriously, God, I'm, I'm angry. How, how could you bless the person that wounded me? And then it was like, in my spirit, God said, I blessed you when you wounded me. I blessed you when you wounded others. My character, Charlie, is long-suffering. And I'm patient. Because I desire everyone to come into repentance. And into a relationship with me. Hurting people hurt people. There's a lot of hurting people around us. There's a lot of Robin Williams around us. Robin Williams is the man who said laughter is a gift, but it can also be a mask. A lot of people around us seems like they have the game of life all figured out and they have everything they could imagine, but they have an empty life and they're, they're dying on the, on the inside. Last quality that should come out of your life and my life as a byproduct with a relationship with Christ is I'll walk in endurance. Again, there's two Greek words for endurance, one for circumstances, one for people. This, this Greek word is for people. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. As a pastor, some people occasionally have stopped me, emailed me, and talked to me. And says, well, I, I'm angry at God and I blame God. And I'm mad at God because God is sovereign. God is in control. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped the situation. He could have stopped the hurt. And he didn't. And so I'm mad at God. But that's not what, that's not what sovereign means. Sovereign does not mean that God can do anything that he wants to do. That breaks with his character and the rules and the regulations. Sovereign means that God is the supreme ruler of the universe. But God can never act outside of his, of his character. And in the sovereignty of God, God has decided that he didn't want robots that had to love him and were forced to love him. That he'd give us choice and that he'd give us free will. 
And so he created us in his image and he created us in his likeness. And because we have a will and because we can make choices, we have messed it all up. And because we've messed it all up, there was sin in the world. And there's death and there's sickness and there's betrayal and there's hurt and there's pain. And when you and I are saying, you know what? God could have done something to stop this. God could have done something to stop them from that choice. No, he couldn't have stopped them because he's chosen in his character to give them free will and allow them to make a choice. And things happen in our lives because we live in a fallen world and because people make choices that are outside of his will. And if we're not careful, we'll start blaming God. And when we start blaming God, we will not come to him and worship. We will not respond to him in gratitude and thankfulness for what he's already given us. And if we're not careful, we'll start blaming God. And we will not walk in humility. We will not walk with patience. We will not walk with gentleness. And we will not walk with endurance. So let me ask you, what does your timeline say? What does your timeline say? And are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling? Is there balance in your life because the things you profess to believe and the way in which you're living? Is there humility? Is there patience? Is there gentleness? Is there endurance? Back to the game of life. God wants to trade your fake life, your empty life, for an authentic life in Him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you, how does God want you to respond to this message? Maybe today you need to come to him and you need to ask him to come into your life and give you the gift of eternal life. And maybe this is the start of your, your, your Christian life as a follower of Christ. And if you're not in relationship with him, these qualities will never bear out in your life. Maybe you're a believer here this morning. What does your timeline say? Does it line up? with your talk of being a Christ follower, being a believer. Maybe you're carrying a burden, and I want to give you a response, uh, uh, an opportunity to respond in humility, in gentleness, in patience, in endurance. So if you're carrying a burden, you'd say, you know what, I, I just need someone to pray for me. Then out of, out of an attitude of humility, I'm going to ask you to respond. If you need prayer for any area of your life, just a few minutes after I pray, we stand. I'm going to invite you that if you need prayer, that as you stand up, you step out, begin making your way down to the front. We'll have prayer partners down here for you. You know what? As a pastor, I never worry about the people that are responding in prayer. You know who I worry about? I worry about the people that say, I don't need to respond. I don't need prayer. I don't need someone to pray for me. Or the prideful person that says, I'm worried what everybody I think of me. So if you need a burden lifted, if you need prayer, I'm going to ask you to respond in humility and in patience and in gentleness and endurance. So after I pray, you need prayer. As you stand up, you come. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, may we live an authentic Christian life. May we live a life that is worthy 
of the calling that we received with all humility, with all patience, with all gentleness, and with all endurance. May we be known for men and women that follow you. And Father, for those that are carrying a burden and you say they need prayer, Father, I pray they would receive prayer this morning. I pray that they would respond. And that through their humility, would you give them grace? And would you lift that burden? Would they walk out of here different than when they came in? For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.